because again, when, when I talked about kind of being this eternal optimist and how I couldn't be that version of myself, I remember thinking where I struggled was actually allowing myself to feel any joy at all, any micro joys, right? Not publicly, but internally, it was the sense of like, Cindy, everybody knows what happened. You know what happened. Do you really think now's the time to talk about the rainbow? You know, now is the time to think about the rainbow. Is that really the conversation you should be having with yourself or anyone else? You know, which in hindsight, I'm like, of course, it's the time to have that conversation. It is precisely the time. Hello, friends. Welcome to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefoffer. And in case you're new to the show, yes, this is a podcast all about grief. My guests and I explore the expansiveness and, well, pervasiveness of grief in our lives because, let's face it, 100% of us experience grief, actually multiple times in our lives. I witnessed it time and time again in my career as a social worker and in my personal life too, with the most significant loss being my husband in 2011. And yet, individually and collectively, we're so grief illiterate, and that's causing us all harm. So, I'm on a mission to reimagine grief one conversation at a time, and I'm so glad you're joining me. Cindy Spiegel is a best-selling author and the founder of Dear Grown-Ass Women, a hyper-inclusive social community for women 35+. Her new book, Microjoys, Finding Hope, Especially When Life Is Not Okay, was born in 2020, an awful year for most that was especially awful for Cindy. She lost her mother to cancer, her nephew was murdered, her siblings spent months in the hospital with a stroke and heart failure, and then she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Loss and grief came at her in crashing waves, and she found it nearly impossible to surface for happiness, except in small moments that she began to call micro joys, little bits of beauty or pleasure or unexpected light amidst the darkness. What I quickly discovered in my conversation with Cindy is that, well, we're kindred spirits. We went deep and wide in our conversation. We cussed, we laughed, we reflected on the both and of life and loss and how micro joys are the gift we need in these times. Don't worry, this isn't toxic positivity. It's the opposite, actually. Micro joys invites us to make space for all the feels, including the accessible moments of joy that might just be hiding in plain sight. I can't wait for you to meet her. Welcome, Cindy Spiegel, to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I am thrilled that we're finally here. We've been working on having this conversation for a while, so it's so nice to be with you now. Mm, Look at us making it happen. I know, two women in the world making it happen. So the listeners will have heard in the intro of the show all about you, your work, your most recent book, because I know Micro Joys is your second book. Your former book is The Year of Positive Thinking, which we'll probably dig into a little bit today. But I'm so thrilled that you're joining us for this conversation. The folks who follow me on social media um, at Lisa Kefoffer MSW. No, I've been like posting pictures, snap selfies. Me and my dog were reading this book, right? Like we oh, just the dog was reading it I too. I mean, she was enjoying oh the little puppy. She was enjoying the little. She was enjoying mom sitting still, uh, frankly, to read right. it and pet her. Right. So anyway, so we're gonna get into, of course, the book, which y'all just. I'm gonna say it now. I'm gonna say it at the end of the show. Do yourself a favor. Go to your local bookstore if you can, because I'd love to support our local bookstores and pick up a copy of this book. I've already read it. I'm reading other books, of course, because I have other authors on the show, but I've already gone back to like, there's like little gems that I need reminding of, especially because I'm going through what we'll talk about today. Yes. Everything all at once, you know, (laughs) which is kind of what you're talking about in the book. So Mm -hmm. we're going to dive into the book and um, into the wisdom and a little bit of the story that brought you to writing this particular book. But before we do, I'd love to start where I start with all of my guests, and that's inviting you to share with us the earliest or a early memory of loss could be in your childhood, may not be death loss, because what, mm-hmm. one of the things we talk about on this show is that we grieve even non-death losses. Mm-hmm. And in particular, sort of maybe to the degree you want to tell us the details, describe it, but 
most interestingly, I'm inviting my guests to think about where we learned our grief beliefs. So I, I think one of the biggest ways, especially when we're young, is the explicit and implicit messages our parents or caregivers, you know, model for us and sort of what that taught us about how to sort of show up for grief later in life. So can you, does one come to mind when I ask you about an early memory of loss? Yeah. And I'm actually glad you asked because I don't think very often about this. Um, but it was when my grandmother was buried. I want to say I was seven years old, maybe, but I remember her well, even now. Yeah. Um, and I remember not being allowed to go to her funeral yeah. and feeling like, um, I didn't understand why I was so close to her, but as a child, I couldn't go to her funeral. I understood what it meant to die, yeah. Um, but I wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. And as as we talk about this, it kind of reminds me how at such a young age in our culture, we try to protect yeah. people from death and dying as if yeah. it's not a part of the natural life cycle. So yeah, I would, I, I remember asking why I couldn't go. And the answer was, you're too young. You're too young. And I was like, well, I wasn't too young when she was alive. I was a smart ass little kid, but, (laughs) but the truth still remains, right? It's like, I was too young and I loved my grandmother and I was too young to go to her funeral. Yeah. Um, And again, I don't think about that often, but I, this idea of grief beliefs, even having written this book, I don't know that that was very clear to me, like kind of where this all started. So thank you for asking that. Oh, well, I'm glad. And I can imagine many of the listeners have the same story too. You know, and I, I teach also loss and grief at the University of Texas at Austin. And so many of my students, because I asked them this question, say a lot of their stories are around the same thing. They didn't get to go to the ceremony or the memorial or the burial or whatever the thing was. And they had the same sort of verbiage and, and they come from all kinds of different backgrounds, right? Um, and then that the then we develop a sort of grief beliefs like this this is yeah. thing for adults mm-hmm. it's too scary i can't handle it there's just so much in this sort of implicit so um i hope i'm glad for you and i hope for our listeners this is like if you've been listening to the show for a while you've heard me say this a lot but i ask people to just keep unpacking it and a reminder this is not um bashing our parents Right. Because they all did the best they could because this is what they learned yeah. um, culturally. And I can say there's probably some situations. So anyways, well, thanks for letting us in on that um, on that sort of story. And, and part of why I sort of asked that at the beginning of the show, whether I'm talking to somebody who's on to talk about their own personal loss or grief, or when I have doctors or psychiatrists or other folks on to talk sort of from a professional lens, is... We carry that into our personal grown-up grief. We carry that into the way we show up or don't show up for other people in That's their right. grief, right? Mm-hmm. We professionally and personally, um, and it can really impact us. And I know I can imagine that you've had losses sort of between your grandmother at seven and yes. the losses that you write about in the book. But tell us a little bit. You've been a writer. You you wrote this book prior to Microjoy is called The Year of Positive Thinking, which mm-hmm. title alone, I think we can all sort of gather what the sort of message was of the book. What did you learn from writing that book? And what happened in the interim between that book and the need to write Microjoy, sort of the story of your year of SHIT? I don't know if you want to like, right. you, know, you know, sort of your year of stuff, but what you can say you? shit. Can't you oh yeah. Can't I can't. Shit? My podcast is called grief. Is yeah. Stuff. I was so like, I what are you learn? doing here? What are you doing? It's just, just say the word. Yeah. Uh, it's so, <laughs> so what, what compelled you maybe first to write the year of positive thinking? And then what happened that sort of made you feel like I've got to write this, my book, micro choice. What, how did that journey happen? Yeah. So a year of positive thinking I wrote in 2018. Um, and it is exactly that it's 365 thoughts, quotes, ideas around, um, thinking more positively in 2020, when we all went into a global pandemic, that book, by the way, has taken on a life of its own. And I'm very grateful for the work, um, 
that that book has, has really brought forward. But when 2020 happened and we were in the midst of a pandemic, um, three months into the pandemic, my 32 year old nephew was killed, uh, walking to a friend's house. This was the week that Black Lives Matter really took the global stage. Um, within four months, my mother passed away unexpectedly. Within a month of that, my 48 year old brother had a stroke and then went into cardiac arrest where he spent the next two and a half months in the uh, cardiac ICU. By the grace of God, he made it home. And within a month of that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So all of that is a lot. And it happened in a very short amount of time. All of that happened in a 10-month window of time between 2020 and 2021. And I remember during, I want to say the earlier part, but there was no earlier. It all just all kind of blur. kept coming. Yeah. yeah and it all yeah. just kept coming. But I remember early on thinking that I could not positive think my way out of what was happening. You know, the idea of my nephew being violently killed, like that's just not the sort of thing that happens to people. I mean, it happens on podcasts. It happens on true crime shows. It doesn't happen to you um, until it does. And I just remember thinking everything I know to be true about the world is not true anymore. You know, I had always been an optimist. I had always believed that there was a way forward, no matter what. Um, I'd always been, yeah, just just optimistic overall. You know, when everybody else, I come from a family of cynics. So when everybody else was saying no, even as a child, I was the one saying, yes, it's possible. We can do this. Um, and, and I think when you go through a time like this, and I say when, because we all will, you know, we will all lose guaranteed. someone. Yeah. yeah. 100% guaranteed. <laughs> um, it, it really, it really sort of shifts who we think we are. You know, I mean, I, again, I wrote a book about this. I spent my whole grown ass life thinking I understood how to deal with these things. Uh, and I really just felt like I didn't recognize myself for the world around me. And the last thing that I can do was go back to my own words and use them for solace. Yeah. I didn't want to positive think my way out. I wanted to sit with my own grief. I wanted to sit with everything I was going through. Um, because even then I recognized how important important this time was. Um, and I didn't want to brush over it. I needed to be with it. Um, and so after my nephew was killed, I remember when we were preparing for his service, going through a photo album and of his childhood and in the photo album through tears, you know, as my brother and my family kind of sitting around, we're going through this photo album. We just start busting out laughing because there's all these pictures of him as a little kid with like missing his front teeth. And then he's like, yeah. he's flashing a bunch of money, but it's really just singles. It's like $6, but to a four-year-old, he felt like he had a lot Won of money. Yeah. 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 That $6 got him nowhere, but he was happy about it. Um, but it was really the, the first time that I had this tangible moment of going, wait, what was that? I didn't stop right then, you know, and say yeah. this, but later just thinking about it, like, what was that that allowed us to laugh so hard, even while grieving? Yeah. Because it didn't take away the grief, right? We're still crying and crying tears of grief, not tears of joy. Um, but at the exact same time, we could find those moments of happiness, those moments of belly laughter. And so I started to talk about them on social media. And truthfully, I did not have, there was no great plan to write a book about this again. I was in the midst of everything. Yeah, as there never is. And then that's yeah. when they come. Yeah. yeah. And then it comes, right? Because other people started to share their micro joys. Yeah. Because again, you know, I'd spent the better part of, I don't know, a decade at that point being an optimist and writing about yeah. these, these, you know, sort of this, the way, the lens that I saw the world through always with a side dish of sass, because I'm very sassy. Um, That's why we're going to be BFFs anyways. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I couldn't do that anymore. Like that yeah. version of Cindy that I felt like everyone came to expect was no longer there. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and so micro joys became this thing that other folks started to talk about and they would DM me their own micro joys. And truthfully, I didn't know exactly what it was. I just knew that it was this thing where we could hold two things at once, hold two feelings really at one time. Um, that was a very long answer to a very no, that, brief question. So no, that was is. a That's beautiful <laughs> answer. And we're going to dive into so many directions, including kind of defining micro joys. And there's a particular passage, if you don't mind me reading your own words, I've I hope my, you would. My book is, this is how I read books, just sticky notes. It's beautiful. And um, which is why nobody can ever 
borrow my book. Borrow that I, <laughs> Like get your own copy. The author will thank you me. Don't and you don't want mine. You don't want mine. Well, two things I wanted to do. One is if you feel like sharing, I always love to bring our people into the room. So if mm-hmm. I don't remember in the book, you mentioning your nephew or your mom's names, but I would love to bring them into the room with us. If that, if you'd want to share their names, first names, so, if not, that's okay. Yeah. Partially, I'm not going to share their names and I'll tell yeah. you why. Please. I decided because this book is memoir, I didn't want my story to be their story. You know, like my nephew didn't belong solely to me. My mom didn't belong solely to me. So I actually do in the book name my mom. Um, But I'll just say it's not correct. It's not what her actual name is. You're good. No. Yeah. 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 But that that was on purpose. I love that. See, serendipity of these conversations on this podcast, I love what you just offered me back because as I've shared with you and my listeners before, one of my missions of the show is to really model honest, vulnerable, awkward when we don't know what we're doing conversations. Mm. And there's two things about why I ask that question often is we have one of the grief beliefs that we collectively hold, I would say in the West is we don't want to bring up the person's name because we're worried Mm. we're going to make somebody upset as if the griever yes. isn't already thinking about that person mm, 24 all seven. the time. Yes. So, which is why I always like to ask my guests if they want to share Good. the name, because I'm trying to remind us, remind grief supporters that yes. that's not a thing. Like right. we're thinking about them. You not bringing up their name just makes us feel like you're forgetting. Right. 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 That's right. So oh. I love that. But secondly, I loved your own modeling of it's all up to us about what we do and don't want to share. We don't mm-hmm. owe other people information. That's right. We don't owe other people details. We don't owe other people comfort in our grief. We only mm. owe ourselves mm. comfort. Say that again. We do right? not, not owe, owe other, other people, people comfort, comfort in our grief. So no. good. So I love that you kind of really respected your own integrity, your own boundaries, your own um, place in your grief. Um, so Y'all, we didn't even script that, but that happened. So anyhow, um, <laughs> can so, I just tack yeah, on to that yes, for a quick please, second? Please. So the thing I will say is there are pictures all over my office, my yeah. apartment of my mom, my nephew. These, they are very, very present to yes, me every day. Of course. Um, and I think if they weren't, I wonder if my thoughts would be different around it, you know, yeah, but to yeah. me, they are so actively here around me that, yeah, I have a deep connection with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, anybody who's listening to the show who's lost someone, especially in a death loss, because of course we lose people in different ways, um, I think can relate to that. We're present. I just wrote up, did a post the other day about like, sometimes we say was, and sometimes we say is, and you don't need Mm -hmm. to be concerned that we've lost our damn mind, right? It's that they're going to be present in our minds and hearts always. And so if we say was or is, you don't need to correct us. You don't need to judge Mm us. They're with us. So good. So good. That's right. Right. And same. I mean, my Eric, my husband passed in 2011. Mm -hmm. I still, he's his pictures. I still talk about him. Sometimes was, is my friend Joe. I was with him a few years later when he passed. I still bring Joe's memory forward. So yeah, I think we don't necessarily have to say the names or have to perform our grief Mm. for other people. Mm, look at you. This is like church. It's like <laughs> well, Monday grief church. This is, you know, <laughs> this is my topic. This is my jam. But there's a passage that you talk about in micro. I mean, again, y'all, microjoys for those who are watching video or video clips of this. Also, the book is just like the cover just makes me happy. It, oh. Most of my books sit like this on my shelf, but your book sits like this on my shelf. Oh, so that my I can, goodness. Um, see it. But <laughs> there's a passage that you write sort of early on, if I can read it, that sort of gets at. What, what micro joys are and why they're important. If I can read it and then we can just explore for the listeners that. a little bit. Um, you say micro joys teach us to hone our ability to live within the gray, neither perfect nor imperfect and still find beauty there, regardless of what may be happening outside of ourselves and outside of our immediate control. We perceive so much of the world in extremes and opposites, good or bad, rich or poor, right or wrong, happiness or sadness, either or. But rarely do we perceive things as both, all of it, this and that. Nonetheless, the exact place of this and thatness is where micro joys reside. Inside the wide gray area, somewhere between the vastness of black and white, the place of accepting and holding both this and that, 
as truth, like deep grief and the intermittent moments of pure joy simultaneously. Those occasional moments of lightness amidst darkness are profound gifts that allow us the time that we need to come back to ourselves. And those gifts are the deepest expression of micro joys. Mm. I mean, y'all underlined arrows. <laughs> There's a couple pieces in here. I just even got the goosebumps reading that again. There's a couple pieces in here, which you touched on earlier that I'd love for you to touch on. One is this experience most of us have when we experience profound loss, which is we don't recognize ourselves anymore. Yeah. There's the us in the before and yeah. then there's the us in the after, and there's pieces of us that come with, but there's a time when we can't even recognize the us in the before. Right. So love for you to touch on that. And also the, really the key point of this, like what, what micro joys are and why they're a gift, not just for the happy times in our life, but yeah. why they're so necessary in the both and times of our life. Yeah. First of all, I loved hearing you read that. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. You know, micro joys and their the simplest definition is that they are these easily accessible moments of joy that exist regardless of our current circumstances, right? So when I think about going through this photo album, those pictures of my nephew existed regardless of whether we were grieving him or not. They were already there. Yeah. The only thing we had to do was to notice that they were yeah. there, that the joy was there, the humor was there, the memory was there. You know, I think about the daffodils that are coming up outside right now. They're there whether we're having a good day or a bad day. Yeah. Right. They exist regardless of our current circumstances. So, so much of building this practice of micro joys is about being present and noticing what is around us. Right. Because when I was in the midst of my grief, I could not reach very far. Yeah. I was not going to try and, and create or find a silver lining. I wasn't going to try to do things that made me feel happy. I can simply notice what was in front of me. That was the best that I could do. Yeah. And so this idea of micro joys being these easily accessible moments of joy, they're not small, right? They're not always small. That it the, that simply means that they're always there. We just don't have to reach far to access them. Mm. Right. And so that. that's, that's so the focus of all of it's this. A, it's really, I mean, in essence, it's a mindfulness practice, right? That's it's right. a practice of being present, being curious, which is also one of my favorite words is just sort of being curious, being curious in the ordinary. Yes. Right. Yeah. And the extraordinary. And the extraordinary. Sometimes it's extraordinary, right? Yeah. I talk about versions of that in the book, but I think it's this idea that it could be all of it, right? Like the ordinary things that are happening around us, but also the extraordinary things that we're experiencing. But yeah. that happens so quickly that maybe we forget about them or we don't notice them and then they pass us by. Yeah. So micro joys to me is this, this real deep, practice that we don't want to necessarily wait until we're going through the hardest things. You yeah. can hone this if you're going through nothing, Absolutely. right? And you're, I mean, listen, as humans, we're never going through nothing. Yeah. Um, living is, is yeah. hard sometimes, but yeah. it's this idea that even in the most ordinary, yeah. we can start to hone this practice. And I would say the more we do it, even in our lesser hard times, because I think we're just in some continuum in our lives, lesser right? Of hard that times. Lesser right. hard times. Um, <laughs> the more it is a reflexive skill yes. that we can then draw. I mean, I'm definitely, I have built a cultivated a practice of what I call beauty walks for years, mm. one of my mindfulness practices. And boy, in this season of my life, which listeners have heard, or, you know, is a full of tumult, mm -hmm. joy and tumult. Um, yes. That, that reflexive skill that I've practiced is helpful. I want to mm -hmm. add, and I wonder if you experience this at all, either in that story of, of, you know, sort of laughing your way through the photo album, even yeah. as you prepared for your nephew's service, is one of the things that I think our cultural grief beliefs can put on us is this idea that it's not right to feel joy or pleasure yeah. or some semblance of happiness when we're grieving. Um, and that that is, and then we what I call should all over ourselves when we yeah. have those moments. I still remember vividly, I've told the story before, could not sleep in those months after my husband died and, and the daily show was on back John Stewart before Trevor mm -hmm. Noah. And now whoever will be the replacement. And I remember like daughters, seven-year-old daughters asleep in the other room, have my headphones in it's three in the morning. I'm watching an episode and I laughed out loud. And I think it was the first time I had laughed yeah. 
yeah. you know, since Eric died in my arms and it yeah. felt so good, but I am almost immediately should all over myself. Yeah. Like, I tried to take did, it back. Did I not <laughs> love my husband enough? Is that insincere? Is that something? Yes. So what do you have to say to people about sort of moving through, giving yourself permission or moving through the friction um, to give yeah. yourself permission to have those micro joys? And did you struggle at all with that? You're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. When we come back, Cindy shares how she struggles, struggled really with setting down guilt and giving herself permission to experience moments of joy amidst the deep grief. She also invites us to consider the need for respite from the deep, intense emotions of grief. Are you looking for more grief support in your life? Do you want a friendly and understanding voice in your inbox? Maybe some behind the scenes scoop on this show, information about the book that I'm writing coming out in 2024, or even thoughts on what I'm currently reading? Would you like to know about the services I offer? Well, I've got you covered. Sign up for the not so regular newsletter today by visiting lisakefoffer.com forward slash newsletter. That's Lisa K E E. F-A-U-V-E-R dot com forward slash newsletter. Why do I call it not so regular? Well, because grief isn't on a schedule and neither is this newsletter. I am so fortunate to have so many incredible guests coming your way still this season. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. After the show, head over to Apple Podcast or your favorite platform and hit the subscribe button. Oh, and while you're there, if you love the show, please leave a rating and write a review. Also, a simple and meaningful gesture of grief support would be sharing this show with someone in your life who might need it too. If you do it on social media, don't forget to tag me at Lisa Kefauver MSW or use the hashtag grief is a sneaky bitch. I did, right? Because again, when, when I talked about kind of being this eternal optimist and how I couldn't be that version of yeah. myself, I remember thinking where I struggled was actually allowing myself to feel any joy at all, yeah. any micro joys, right? Yeah. Not publicly, but internally, it was the sense of like, Cindy, everybody knows what happened. You know what happened. Do you really think now's the time to talk about the rainbow? You know? Yeah. Now is the time to think about the rainbow. Is that really the conversation you should be having with yourself or anyone else? Yeah. You know, which in hindsight, I'm like, of course it's the That's time exactly to have that conversation. Time. It is precisely the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's this real guilt and shame about how dare I feel yeah. this, this feeling that feels in any way good to me. And what I've really come to believe is why shouldn't I? Yeah. Like in, in what world? Do we have to only feel one thing, right? And why? What is the benefit to any of us to bury ourselves in our grief 24 hours a day? Yeah. You know, it is okay. And I talk about this in the book. To me, micro joys are respite from your grief, right? They don't take it away. They're not trying to take it away. They are simply coexisting with it. And to me, that idea that we could coexist with our grief empowers us to move through it in ways that feel natural to us. Yeah. So yeah, there's a real shame and there's a real grief. And I think that even conversations like this, like what we're having are about how... You know, us sort of reconsidering grief and saying, yeah. why? Why is yeah. this belief where did this come from and why is it true? You know, yeah. of course I should have been thinking about joy then, but you know, it just didn't feel like the right thing. It didn't, it yeah. felt inappropriate. And I'm never, yeah. I'm never concerned about being appropriate ever, <laughs> except in my grief. That was yes. the one time I was like, all right, Cindy, be appropriate. <laughs> Get it together. Get, Get it, it together. together. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think to what you're talking about, right? That's a grief belief. We probably learned that from our we definitely mm. learn it culturally, right? Yeah. In in our culture, I'm talking, I mean, I have listeners around the world, but I would say sort of Western, you know, in our Western kind of culture, we are taught really happiness in that toxic positivity way yes, is the only yeah. emotion worth publicly displaying. And any other sort of emotion that you have is some sort of moral failure. Yes. If you didn't yeah. get to that place. And so, of, and 
And we even have rules about like your, but grief is just sad, which it's not, by the way, grief is also pissed the hell off. And it's, you know, it's all got sorrow and it's longing and it's bittersweetness. It's all the things. So then we are taught, well, okay, you have to feel grief, which is just sad. And then you can only feel that, but don't feel it too much around other people. Cause that's right. kind of, so like, tuck it away while you're feeling like, it. don't get your grief on other people, <laughs> you know, kind of like, ew. Don't get that on me. Just don't get that on me. <laughs> and what you're talking about wrestling with, which, which I've talked about before, but I love you do it so beautifully in the book. And that's why I love that particular passage about the being in the gray is, is this notion that I think grief, I hope, teaches us in that and conversations like these teach us is we don't get to have our emotions a la carte. That's right. That's right. Ain't you know, we, the truth? It, we don't as much as we would like to. We don't. And then the fact is the more we feel each of our feelings, because 100% of them are temporary. Yeah. There's never been a feeling that came and didn't leave. Even the ones we wish would have hung around right. a little bit longer. <laughs> right. So the more you can experience all having all of these feelings come be with them as you've talked about in the book and let them yeah. go. First of all, the more empowered we feel, the less stuckness we feel, which is a real quality for some of us in our grief of stuckness. Yeah. Um, and I love the word you said there about respite, which is mm. we can't carry the weight of anything all the time. And the more we can give ourselves permission to have these moments of micro joys or rest or sweetness, the more energy we will have to carry the grief when we need to pick it back up again. That's right. That's right. right. It's like, we don't need to allow it to weigh us down all the time. All the time. And yeah. that, and, and that message that we all have internalized, it leads to kind of that guilt and shame that we're somehow, it's a disservice to the person yes. or it's improper. As you said, you know, you're not doing the right thing. Doesn't it costs, it only costs us. That's right. We're That's the only right. one who's, who pay the price for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it that way though with so many of our beliefs, right? Yes. That we don't know where they came from. And, and yes. we've been, somebody along the way told us to behave a certain way and to believe yeah. certain things. And we did. And now we're the ones paying the price for it without considering if it's still valid or not. Yeah. You know, I always, you know, people, you know, I was a traditional therapist for many years. Now I don't hold my licensure because I do this work and I do, but I do support people as a grief guide sometimes. And people are often saying, I feel bad. I shouldn't have felt that way, or I should feel this way, you know, a lot of, and I just always invite them. And I think your book does such a lovely job of this too, is like, so you felt that way. Where did that come from? Is it serving you right now? If it is great, if it's not, let's find a way to set it down and let's find a replacement belief or a replacement practice. Mm. Um, cause even the, the, even the growth that we have, when we realize we've been carrying beliefs that don't serve us, don't beat yourself up, up over that one too. Everybody's carrying yeah. luggage they should not be carrying. That's correct. On planes and off. <laughs> On planes and off. Okay, On well, planes and off, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. but truthfully, it's like, this isn't about judging everything that came before. It's simply about shifting our ways of moving forward. Yeah. Whatever was, was it existed. Like there's nothing yeah. we can do about it. There's no, there doesn't need to be this, these sort of harsh or judgmental feelings about them. Yeah. We've simply learned a different way. And so we've decided, or we'll yeah. hopefully decide to move forward more mindfully about it. That's all. Yeah. So you, you know, this, you went through this year of hell, 10 months of hell. And yeah. you talked about sort of not recognizing the Cindy of the before yeah. and that this process, even through writing micro joys was this process of making space for the, this version of Cindy to emerge, which has a lot of qualities of the Cindy and before, but has a lot of, mm-hmm. of new, new qualities. Yeah. Is there something you're discovering about this Cindy version 0.0 that, yeah. that you're particularly appreciative of or hadn't seen coming? Yeah. The the first thing I want to say is I think when I'd written the book, I thought, whew, good thing I got through that. That's over. Now that I can look at it with some perspective, you know, and can write about it. Good thing I'm done with that. The reality is that I think I was done to an extent, right. which means I wasn't yeah. actually done. It was part of the the evolution. Um, and then we're the always becoming, of like literally from the moment we. So we need to stop this binary, like oh, and I've right. arrived, and now I'm here. No, right? That's what I thought because I wrote a book, so I was like, oh, for sure, I've I've moved through this. That's wonderful. Then the book came out, and then I'm you know I'm sort of all over talking about the book. Yeah, and then I'm like, 
oh, wait, maybe I still don't actually know how, like who, who I am. I thought yeah. I did, but now I'm not yeah. so sure. Just within the past few weeks, something that became, and you'll hear me talk a lot more about this in the future, is this idea of I've only recently started to redefine my own narrative. When I was in the middle of all of the book preparation and the writing the book, you know, I was still in it. Yes. And there isn't that same perspective. And I think the beauty of micro joys being out in the world and me sort of experiencing this privilege of talking about it so much was that I've come to some understandings about myself that I just hadn't considered, which is that I now, with some space between myself and writing micro joys, have to redefine what my narrative is today. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot in the book about the before times, right? Yeah. Before 2020. Yeah. Um, but I've just recently started to consider like everything on my website, all of my, my current work. I'm like, is this the work that Cindy today yeah. wants to be doing? Yeah. Or is this the work that Cindy in 2019 wanted to be doing? And yeah. why are they different? So there's a lot. It's it's a very timely question because I am in the middle of that exploration right that. now. Um, and I just think that that's the sort of evolution that takes time. But again, as a culture, we never really think. No. We like the shiny to redefine after picture. Yes. yes. You know, we like, like the success story. Yes. Like, oh, look, look he's at me now, now a millionaire and blah, blah, yes. blah. Or, and we don't like the, like the messy middle is what yes, I, you know, right. That's the, right. The messy middle. That's um, right. So I love that you're sharing with some vulnerability. You're kind of in that place. Yeah. And I yeah. have, I, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. That place is hard for most yes. of us. Um, I think if we can approach it with some curiosity and remind ourselves, like we were in a place uh, many other times in our lives where we didn't know who we were and what we did. And then we That's found right. some solid ground and we moved through that. So we know how to do it. We don't, yeah. We've never been here before, but we know how to do the work. And we just mostly have to just get the fuck out of our own way. I'm sorry. What was that word? Get the fuck out of our own way. <laughs> right. We have to get out of our own head instead of yeah. like, cause we yeah. get into that narrative of like, okay, well now I've been through this loss. I've wrote the, written this book. Yes you know, and now I need to continue to be, I've got to get it figured out. And yes. it's like, no. And I wish no. we had, I love that you're sharing this. And I try to share it in my essays and my, on this show, wherever I'm yeah. speaking or writing is like anybody who's out there saying they have it all figured out is full of shit. Yeah. You shouldn't listen to them. You should Do run not. as far as you can. Yeah. I love yeah. people who talk about their own sort of vulnerabilities and curiosities, or this is where yeah. I'm at now, or this is what I'm curious to learn, or this is the where, what I'm focusing on in my sort of becoming. So yeah. yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And so many of us, when we are in that kind of maybe middle, early to middle part of grief, where we're kind of over the shock and yes. the denial, and then we're in the, but like life is still happening and how, yeah. and that's that messy middle and to just have some grace and patience and to find some opportunities to experience some micro joys, to bring some levity to this like that's right. That's a, it's a pretty heavy time to be in this, you know, changing our narrative time. Speaking yeah. And of, no, you go ahead. Well, no, you, what I was going to say was this idea of, of this evolution. I feel like we're evolving more than we're not evolving. Like yes. there's very few times that I can think, well, now I'm settled. Yeah. You know, like we're always evolving. And so if we can just get used to the idea that we're a constant evolution, you know, yeah. we're constantly in this place, I think it becomes a lot less uncomfortable and a lot yeah. easier to manage. Easier is not the right word. Um, but it becomes a lot more, a lot smoother. You yeah. Know, it's less friction to. was the word I was yeah. going to say. Yes, and it also yes, allows yes, you yes. to sort of, uh, sort of do your practice of present. Like, I don't yes. know where I'm going, but I really appreciate that I'm sitting here. I had this the other day at a moment where I was like, I was finally back in my house after a flood and evacuation mm -hmm. situation. And I was like sitting on the couch reading your book actually. And my new puppy dog was sitting next to me and the sunlight was coming in the window. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going through breast cancer and yeah. there's life is happening. But I just sort of looked down and thought like, I don't know what it's going to be in six months from now, but this is a pretty that's it. This is this a pretty is we have. perfect freaking moment right here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can experience that moment alongside. And it doesn't change your diagnosis. Oh, I'm still t t terrified of what's, right? you know, with the pathology report that frankly yeah. is going to be coming back to me later today from surgery. But yeah, yeah so that both and, I mean, yeah. the tattoo, which I've explained to people in the past, you know, is the, is my representation of that. But I wanted to give some, I wanted for you to share some stories from the book that I really, um, 
loved about some of your examples of micro joys Two come to mind. I wish I'm just trying to remember it. If I don't, without looking at the book, one was like being the weird lawn chair people. Oh, sure. I, yeah. <laughs> that little chapter, by the way, y'all, this book is so great because it's got these just like little dosable. You can just drop into like just a little gem of a small one chapter and a wisdom, like one essay at a time. So that one comes to mind or even the polka dot glass, I think. Oh, sure. It's another, but just tell me, so when you wrote the book, you sort of reflected on microjoys that maybe weren't, you weren't naming them as microjoys while they were happening. That's right. That's right. Which is it important was for people to know it was just life. But then in retrospect, that was like that kind of retrospect. But is one of those stories or another one come to mind that you want to yeah. share? Yeah. Well, I think so much about microjoys, right? I appreciate that you just brought up that they're not all you don't always recognize them in the moment, yeah. right? Like in the book, I talk about traditions in my family. I talk about memories, you know, shared memories with my mom who had passed away or my nephew or other folks that, you know, that I've lost along the way. Sometimes we only recognize these micro joys in hindsight. Yes. So, you know, but even that work of recognizing them and naming them as micro joys yes. is important, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Because we start to understand how accessible micro joys are when yes. we realize that they don't always have to be the thing in front of us in that moment. Yeah. Maybe it's that thing we saw before. Maybe it's that experience I had six years ago. So the um, essay about the weird lawn chair people, Loved it so much. I have to tell you how a lot of these essays came about. And I write about this in the book and I promise I'll come back to the weird no, lawn chair No, you're good. People. You're good. Good. I document everything. I have, uh, I don't know, at last count, I think 27,000 pictures in my phone. <laughs> About 99.9% .9 of them are not pictures that anyone would ever see and or be interested in. If I lost my phone, no one would give a fuck. They're not yeah. interesting pictures, right? They're like my new manicure color or flowers that I saw or, yeah. you know, my cat being silly. Like they're really mundane, right? They're not, there's nothing exciting about the color of my coffee, but there are many, many, many pictures of the color of my coffee. And the reason that I document those things for me, it's I document via journaling or I document via pictures. The reason I do that is because when I am in the midst of difficulty, sometimes I can't access what's right in front of me. Yeah. Even though it's right there. But what I can do is scroll through the images on my phone. I happen to be a very visual learner. So for me, when I see a picture that I took, it transports me back to that moment, which is how coming back to the weird lawn chair people, um, I was going through pictures on my phone because that had already happened. Yes. I was going through pictures on my phone. And one of those pictures was me sitting in a vintage lawn chair with a big yellow hat on with a very large brim, very large, um, inappropriately large even, and us mm. just sitting out on Is our lawn. Is there such a thing as inappropriately very, large? hundred oh, percent. Okay. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Inappropriate <laughs> doesn't equal bad. Okay. Um, but yes, inappropriately <laughs> okay. large. But I remember again, just coming across the picture and sort of being transported back to that day and that sort of experience. You know, we had just moved to Montclair, New Jersey, which is where we live now. And we were obsessed with the idea of finding vintage lawn chairs. Everybody knows the cross weave, the webbed yeah, lawn chairs. Yes. Um, they usually are not covered the arms so you can burn off a piece of your skin when yep. you put, so you mm -hmm. to put a towel over the arms. Mm -hmm. They're from, I don't know what era. I was born from, in the, I was born in 71. I remember those lawn chairs. 77. Have, yeah. yeah. But yes, like that era. Know yeah. Those, yes. Yeah. Where it was like no. a little bit dangerous to sit on the lawn chair. We they also had playground equipment, by the way, that was just sheer metal. That's that we used correct. to slide down in the sun. Anyway, that's correct. I, I there, was no, there was no soft stuff underneath to like catch you. You just fell Cement. on that concrete. Yeah. yeah. No, that's all it was. Um, but so we finally found these, these lawn chairs, which by the way, I don't know if you realize they are so expensive right now to buy like these, these vintage Retro lawn chairs vintage, that probably yeah. were $5. Um, so we finally scored a pair that we'd picked up from somebody. We were talking on the way back. We were super excited. We got this piece of Americana. We bring them home. We hose them down. We go to bring them. Oh, no, we hadn't even decided yet what we were going to do with them because what occurred to us when we pulled into the garage was that we don't have a yard. We don't own a house. We don't have a yard. I don't know why the lawn we chairs don't have a lawn. To There's no lawn for the lawn chairs. So we were so caught up in this idea that we needed these lawn chairs now that we moved to the suburbs that it didn't occur to us that we didn't have the rest of what was needed for the lawn chairs. So that the, the essay kind of goes into us 
inappropriately because we live in an apartment, a very small complex and sitting in the front of the complex is like a patch. Like there's bushes, basically. It's not yeah. meant for people to sit on. This is the suburbs. But we pulled out our lawn chairs and we sat on and they're the lounging ones, by the way. They're not just sitting. We basically right, were, were laying on the yeah, la- like feet up patch of grass, newspaper, wine, coffee, all the things. Um, and cars would just slow down and kind of look at us and go like, what the hell is wrong with these people? So anyway, the whole point of the essay was to, you know, if should you choose to be in a relationship, whether it's romantic or otherwise, make sure it's always with a person who allows you to, or who will coexist with you as weird lawn chair people. People. I yeah. felt, I was like, she's my soul sister. I'm a weird lawn chair <laughs> people person. I just love that. Um, you know, there's another thing that I sort of love about your book. Again, I think there was some kindredness to the way that you wrote. I appreciated. Um, I offer people in my writing, when I work with individuals one-on-one in my own book that's coming forward, what I call invitations. Mm. Sort of like as we learn or we discover new things about ourselves or we're moving through our grief, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, there's no one size fits all. Sorry. That's it. Wish there was. So I call them invitations as opposed to like, you know, you do this, but just try this out. Think about this. And you at sort of at at the end of every chapter have what you call consider this is the consider this. Consider this is. Yes. This is, I'm just making up a whole new book. No. (laughs) If I can read one more, this one, I mean, they were all really like just gems of, ways distilling what you shared in your essay and just sort of like a call to each of us to think about how we might incorporate this into sort of our lives, either in that moment. That's why I've kind of gone back to the book periodically, be like, let me remember that one, consider this and give it a try. When we come back, I share one of Cindy's consider this invitations from her book, Microjoy. It's about the paradox that is, well, much of life and especially life in times of deep grief to stay awake to it all. We go on to explore that those significant losses create a demarcation for us, the before and after. We are always actually in a state of becoming. Cindy shares the curiosity she has now about her own emerging narrative. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. You're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. Friends, I absolutely love hosting this podcast. And while it's central to my work as a grief activist and my mission to create a more grief literate culture, did you know that I also have the great fortune to show up in other places too? I write about grief in various places, including my forthcoming book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, published by UT Press coming in 2024. But I also serve as adjunct professor of loss and grief at the University of Texas, Austin, Also, organizations across the country invite me to help them create grief-smart workplaces as a keynote speaker for their significant events or to deliver workshops. You know what's really cool? So many of these invitations have largely come from listeners like you. So if you're looking to bring grief education, awareness, literacy, or support to your workplace or event, drop me a note. Visit www.lisakiefoffer.com. Did you know you can now get all kinds of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch merch from tees and hoodies to journals, coffee mugs, and stickers? You can find it in my Grief Happens shop. In fact, I love that people have started sharing their pictures with me. So if you pick something up, make sure to take a selfie and tag me on social media at Lisa Kefauver MSW. I'll be adding new content to the shop monthly. Next up is a series of merchandise I'm calling Cancer Can Fuck All the Way Off. Shop now for your own Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast merch by visiting www.lisakefauver.com today. That's Lisa, K-E-E-F-A-U-V-E-R.com. Um, but this one was sort of about this paradox about the both and, and, you know, I'm sort of obsessed with this both and subject. Um, so this, in this chapter, you invite us this, you say, uh, life is filled with paradoxes and darkness and light often end up converging with patience and bravery. We must stay awake and present for all of it. The seductive goodness and the hardships too. 
bear witness to what is because each moment has the capacity to transform and propel us forward in ways that might otherwise never occur unless we are present enough to notice them. Accepting paradox allows us to stay both soft and firm in life. And you go on to sort of share Brene Brown's, you know, uh, braving the wilderness quote about sort of strong back, soft, strong back, soft front. So I just think that's such a beautiful invitation to remember. And I loved this language, you know, I'm a former narrative therapist. So I love this seductive goodness and the hardships too, is, is how we, um, the practice of staying present to the, to those moments when we're in the moments of those two, what called you to sort of invite us to do that? And what, and I know you talk about sort of writing things down, document your experiences, as you were just saying, I'm too, I, my phone is literally a, is the flora and fauna in my neighborhood, the ocean, my dogs, and nail polish colors is pretty much right. So, Things nobody else wants to see. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. So I, I'm with you on that one. You know, I I think it's really important in a culture that often asks us to hide the difficult things. Yeah to really sit in the difficult things because, you know, even as I talk about kind of where I am right now in this moment, you know, and saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm evolving even as we sit here and and have this conversation. So much of how I've been able to get to where I am today is because I sat with the most difficult things over the past few years. I didn't try to run from them. Actually, that's a lie. Sometimes I did try to run. We from all them. do. And also, by the yeah. way, let me and just interject okay. and say, yeah. that is like neurobiologically wired in us is to like yes, yes, run yes. from the pain. So like, that's right. We're all going to do, we're going to do numbing. We're going to do whether that's drinking or eating or avoiding or whatever. We're yeah. all going to do that. It's the catching the yourself and doing it. So that's anyway, right. just wanted to say like, Thank of you. course you did because we all do. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. You know, but, but really the, the most important part was me sitting and, you know, I, I mentioned sometimes this getting out of bed at three o'clock in the morning. Cause I didn't want to wake my husband up. And I came into this exact office that I'm sitting in right now and just bald. Yeah. Right. I'm like, I can't do this in bed. He's got to go to work in the morning. I'm trying to be convenient to my husband who's got to work. Yeah. Yeah. So I come to the other side of our home, you know, and I start bawling in the bedroom. I mean, in the office, I remember even then when I was done bawling, because it felt like it went on for hours, I'm sure no. it was four minutes, but it felt like it went on for hours. Yeah. I remember just feeling a sense of this weight was lifted. Yeah. And yeah. to me, that's why it's so important that we don't try to rush past those things, at least yeah. not forever, that at some point we come back to ourselves and we say, you know what? This now's the time. Like now yeah. is the time I need to actually sit with this because allowing myself to sit with it then is how I am able to do this sort of transformative work today. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to stand here and have this conversation, not with any integrity anyway. (laughs) But I think there's such value in the like sort of sitting with it. That's so that's in opposition to everything that we're taught. Yeah. You know, which is to run to numb to do, but constantly, not just temporarily, but constantly. Um, And I just think that weightlessness that I talked about, that weight being lifted off my shoulders, that's what we experience when we allow ourselves to simply feel what is coming up for us. Yeah. You can't run from it. I always say like, yeah. it's following you. You're just collecting. Yeah. It's just becoming a heavier and heavier and heavier, you know, chains that you're kind of dragging mm. behind you. And the more we avoid those or run from those, the less vision we have to see the beauty or the joy or the awe that's right in front of us. Yeah. I had a guest once early on in the uh, podcast years ago, say, um, you have to sit in the suck. And that expression Mm, really kind of stuck with me all these years. And again, I think there's a lot of people who are like, well, I know somebody and they're not getting over it and they're just miring in their grief. And please don't come at me with that story. I mean, yes, I so fucking awful about other people's grief. I know. Like, just mind your own grief. Thank you very much. Mind your Um, own grief. Exactly. (laughs) Let me mind mine. (laughs) Yeah. Mind your own grief. That's going to be another t-shirt in my store. Or a book. Or a book, right? Exactly. But I, and I think there's, as always, it's the, the, our emotions are fluid. They're going to come and go, but the, they will come and go much more easily if we give them the attention they need. That's right. That's right. right? Yeah. And so if we allow them to release. And also, by the way, crying is 
and also swearing, I believe. I don't mm-hmm. have data on the swearing yet, although I'm going to work with a social science researcher because <laughs> I think it's true. But crying is actually, right, neurobiologically actually causes, right, it helps us release stress hormones and, and yes. have positive feelings. So like crying is actually a useful act in your forward mm. movement where I think we sort of relegate the story of sort of crying and sadness and that kind of dark, deep grief as being mm. a stuck or as yes. being like you're, you know, doubling down or investing. Whereas I actually think it's the thing that sort of rises you and gives you space to mm. sort of move forward. I happen to believe that swearing also has that same therapeutic yes, benefit. 100%. <laughs> um, I don't have the data, but I'm bet if, by the way, if you're a data scientist out there and you know that, let's talk. I need to have you on the show because <laughs> I think it's true. Um, so I do appreciate that. Consider this, that sort of how, do, how, how we are with the both and, yeah. you know, of those experiences and um, what a gift that is. Yeah. Something that you mentioned before that I'm going to forget, but maybe not was, oh, when it wasn't until those sections became labeled, uh, they became labeled consider this halfway through the editing process. Oh. Because when we, when I initially started writing the book, it was try this. And I remember having this really clear moment where I was like, I don't want people telling me what to try while I'm exactly. going through hard things. And so yeah. I remember emailing my editor, who was Margot at the time, and just saying, Margot, you know, we can't, I can't call it this. It has yeah. to be this instead. Yeah. And I couldn't, it was in, it was late. So I couldn't fully verbalize why, but right away she's like, I get it. Got it. Yeah. Like, let's change that all. And because it became so clear to me that, and it's that word that you used before, right? what we need in those moments are invitations. We yeah. don't need someone telling us what to do. No. Even if we think we do, yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about learning ourselves without allowing ourselves to constantly need to be told what yes. to do. And that's what that consider this section is really about. I love that. And I think there's a balance too. So I think generally we lean, because of course we're extremists in our culture, we lean towards um, this ethos of fix it. That's like our job to tell other people what to do. We have to fix people's grief as if grief is something to be fixed, which it isn't. So we tend to go there or um, we sort of say, I can't tell you anything what to do because I've never been there. And then we just sort of like don't show up and we leave grief as this sort of mystery. And I just finished, I'm going to be having him on the show. I don't know if you've read Colin Campbell's book, uh, Finding the Words. And I appreciate the way he says like, yes, everybody's grief is unique. And there are some things that help that tend to help a lot of us. And he doesn't use the words consider this, but that's sort of what he's offering. And I like that you're offering that because I think we can learn some wisdom from people who've been before, before us. Yes. But it's the way in which it's delivered. And I like, and that's that sort of consider this. It's just sort of like, Here's an invitation. Here's an invitation. I've tried this. It sort of worked for me. And by the way, it might not work the first time, but just see how it resonates with you. Does this align with your integrity and with your beliefs, with some skills you already have, or maybe you're going to take it and make it your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love what you just shared about, um, was it Colin Campbell? Yeah. Whose yeah, work yeah. I now have to look up. Yeah, you need to read. Um, it's, a, it's a recent will. book memoir out. It's beautiful. beautiful. No, I yeah. definitely will. But I, it, because I love what you just said about it's not that somebody else's grief looks exactly the same, but there is wisdom to be shared. Yes. Just yesterday, my girlfriend messages me, you know, at the, at the back of the book where I did my acknowledgements and I thank people. I didn't tell anyone who I thanked that they were there. I'm like, they're either going to read it and they're going to see it, or they're going to skip it all together. And they're never going to know, or maybe they'll flip the pages open six years from now. Um, but my girlfriend messages me and she's like, is this me? And I was like, it is you. And the reason that she's in, her name is Christy T is all it says. Hi, Christy um, T. Shout out to Christy T. Yeah. <laughs> but literally she's been at every book event. Yeah. Like she just yeah. didn't know it was her because why, I guess, why would it be her? Mm-hmm. Um, and what the reason that I thanked her in the book was, was because she had also lost her mother years before. And she was the first person that I could sit down with and talk about mother loss in any tangible way Mm. that would be helpful. And I'm sure she doesn't, she probably barely remembers that conversation. It was, you know, three hours over cocktails outside, you know, during the pandemic and allowing me to ball. And I remember saying at the end of that conversation, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean for this to turn into this. And she said, Cindy, 
part of what you'll come to understand one day is that when you lose someone as close to us as our moms, it becomes a gift that we can offer to other people who have experienced loss. Yes. Yes. Like our loss eventually, possibly, maybe can become a gift to someone else, not the loss itself, but the wisdom that we can share. And that idea that she wasn't telling me in that moment what I should or shouldn't feel, but her sharing her own lived experience allowed me to feel seen for the first time after having lost my mom. And so in that sense, we really, there is so much wisdom in loss when we listen to one another's way of experiencing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is all very different. We all have different grief styles and expressions and our losses are different. And, and and there is some sort of communal wisdom, even in just the, you know, here's where I fell down and here's how I felt, or just the normalizing of like, what you feel angry too. You were pissed Mm -hmm. at, I remember being pissed at, I didn't meet another widow for a long time. Mm. Thankfully now I have a lot of widow friends, but I was 40 when my husband died. And so I was just surrounded by, you know, happy couples. And I remember just being, I'm going to just share an example. I was like pissed off when I would see like happy couples at a restaurant. Of course. And especially pissed off when people like complain about their husband's annoying behavior. Right. Yeah. 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 But I felt so much like I, what is wrong with me? Cause I am a very, I consider myself a very empathetic kind, you know, half glass full sort of positive person. And they're like, we were talking referring back to what we were talking about before. It was sort of like, who is this? Yes. Like evil Lisa that is emerging (laughs) in her grief is like sassing and snapping at perfect. Like those people didn't do anything to deserve my glare, but they got it nonetheless. And it wasn't really until I remember chatting with a widow a few years later that then they were sort of sharing that story. And I was like, yeah, okay. And by the way, I don't feel that way now that that passed. I'm I'm not right. But, but, but that, that sort of like, if, if somebody had told me, if I had had some shared wisdom, not because I, yes, because I sat down next to and had drinks or had a coffee with another widow and they would have told me the story of the time they did that too, how much relief I would have felt. That's right. Cause you wouldn't have felt like a terrible person. Right. I mean, I had a whole story of like, I am going to the dark side and my poor daughter is going to be raised by this evil woman. And like, that went far fast, didn't it? I mean, your, your daughter's being raised by an evil woman. Like it just spirals from there. Doesn't it? Right. Exactly. So, um, I appreciate that story of your friend and shout out to, is it Chrissy T? Christy, Christy T. Sorry, Christy didn't mean to get your name wrong. Um, about that. And that's, again, that's why I do the show. It's why I love your book. I love bringing other um, conversations forward. It's why I wrote, you know, my book that's coming out next year. Cause Which I just I want to read. I just same title, by the way, as a podcast. If you haven't heard, it's <laughs> grief is a sneaky bitch, maybe to the chagrin <laughs> of people in the bookstores, but anyhow, um, is I want us to feel more seen and held yes. in our grief. And the only way that we can do that is one-on-one conversations like you had with Christy T, listening to podcast conversations, reading books, seeing, I mean, we're starting to see more TV and movies that are are more accurately reflecting, you know, grief and its ugliness and silliness and beauty and all of that. And so, yeah, I appreciate that story. And, and, and certain kinds of loss, I think we can learn across losses. Like it doesn't have to be a widow to a widow or a a daughter who's lost a mother to a And I do think there are certain qualities about certain kinds of losses that only somebody who's been through that kind of loss can understand both. And that's right. That's right. Um, And it's all valid. Yeah, exactly. Your loss experience, your grief experience is valid, whatever place you're in. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Um, We could be having this conversation for hours, but I'm recognizing the clock. And I just wanted to say, offer, um, is there anything as we sort of close our conversation today, um, which I hope won't be our last, no. um, <laughs> about just either an- another thing out of the book that you want to draw out or something that you're sort of continuing to be curious about as you move forward in your work, anything else you want the listeners yeah. to know or think about? The first thing I like, and I, because I need to remind myself of this all the time is that we're all moving through something. Yeah. 
We're all moving through something and it may not look like every essay in Microjoys. It may not look like what you're moving through, but we are all moving through something every day. And that, that sort of constant sense of movement of evolving is so incredibly human that when we take a step back and we actually pay attention to what is happening, you know, we, we start to have these, this profound sense of appreciation for ourselves. So this is just an invitation to understand that wherever you are is okay. And to also understand that you are continually evolving. Um, and to take some time as you can to sit back and recognize that because there's a lot of beauty in that. There are many, many micro joys within that evolution as well. Oh, chef's kiss for that answer. I love it. Um, Cindy Spiegel, thank you so much for joining me on Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. Y'all, I'll drop the link in the show notes to Microjoy's the book and her former book, The Year of Positive Thinking. Thank um, you. Please do yourself a favor and go out and get this book and maybe gift it to a friend, actually. Yes. I always think um, <laughs> books are a great grief support gift as just a gesture because it's also just sort of an invitation whenever you're ready here's this book i found it useful maybe you will too Mm -hmm. um so yeah go ahead and do that and thanks so much for joining me on the show today oh thank you for having me what a pleasure and there will be many many more conversations online and off i'm sure awesome thank you for listening to today's episode of grief is a sneaky bitch podcast Don't forget, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to the show so you're notified immediately when the next episode drops. I want to thank Guile Smith of Alafia Sounds for creating the music for the show today and the team at Permanent Record Studios for producing it. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Until next time, I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart.